the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany and Kevin, powered by Texas Kidney Foundation, where we are unapologetically patient first and building coalitions with others to address kidney health for all. And we're back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany and Kevin here on 930 AM The Answer, where you have Kevin and me, and as I said, uh, before we got on, he's back. So, <laughs> he's trying to run things and tell me what to do, y'all. But it's Dream Week. We're leading up to Dream Week. It will be kicking off, and we just wanted to have the curator of Dream Week on. This is the largest curated event of its kind in the United States. And it's put on by Shikari Nakpodia, whom we call Show. Everybody calls him Show. That he's he's one name, just like Cher. Show. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have uh, my favorite kidney advocate, actor, wide range, thespian, Reginald Ballard, and we have and you have Kevin. I love the way she was talking trash about me on the station, on the radio. I was listening to some of the recordings. I was like, what? She's talking smack. <laughs> Look, I, I say Kevin with the hard case. Kevin. There he is with his mess trying to come in and tell me what to do. No, I'm just saying structure so we can flow well. That's all. There you go. So I'm up to all kinds of good, you guys, getting into good trouble, planning a big event. So, Tiffany, can we talk a little bit about, like, Dream Week, like the concept and how show developed that concept? Let's talk about that. Then we'll talk about our part that we have coming up in that part. Well, let's get show to tell us all about Dream Week. This is your baby show. Yes, um... Good day. Um, so, thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you so much. You're welcome, sir. And uh, love you guys. Um, Dream Week is uh, a it's really a San Antonio uh, thing rather than mm-hmm. a show thing. <laughs> uh, but it's all started off when my advertising agency called the Mighty Group. We were fortunate enough to be given the project of beautifying the MLK route. And then I obviously attended the MLK march here. Um, But that day um, was enlightening because I had to get there at 4 a.m. in the morning and leave after the last march I had left. And I think we had about 100,000. This is 12 years ago. We had about 100,000. Um, participants. So just to see the very first uh, involvement with the, uh, you know, the volunteers and the police and all the barricades being put up to the very first, to the last, when all the uh, the trash and all of that was taken off. Uh, I just, it was, it was such an inspiring uh, moment for me um, because I, had besides the Brooklyn uh, Carnival, West Indian Carnival, I'd never seen that many African Americans or Black people in one space together. Just mm-hmm. one view. That was one. The second thing really was that the fact that you had people from all parts of San Antonio gather on a typically cold Monday morning in January and walk to, towards one destination and in one accord, really. And in a part of town that then would have been considered uh, 
for lack of a better word, unfashionable, right? So I started to think about ways that we could expand on what the march, the spirit of the march was. How can we reach out to people who have their hearts in the right places, but maybe just couldn't be bothered to wake up that early in the morning or mm-hmm. for one reason or the other, didn't want to be out there and extend the extend that spirit outside of that much route itself. And that's really what how Dreamy came about. We I also had a you know this exclamation mark for the thoughts, the thought process when I went out to question a lot of San Antonio stakeholders and asked them why do we have such a large match then here in San Antonio? And the best answer I received was the fact that San Antonio, we tend to resolve our conflict with a lot less drama than most other cities of a typical, mm-hmm. uh, a typical size. And um, and that was it. I thought, well, maybe we should set up a summit where we get to know each other a little bit better and um, invite people who, you know, um, were either side of a conflict and maybe see if we can... Um, make the argument a, a little bit more sophisticated. We, we didn't think that we could settle every issue, but the issue of abortion, gun control, immigration, rather than wait for a school shooting before we emotionally start to debate, um, perhaps this was an opportunity to start to um, talk about those issues and also surround it with also what the celebration of MLK's dream is today. Not necessarily about his legacy, um, but can we applaud the progress we've made and identify, you know, the agents of that progress and celebrate them and support them even more, so that um, we, the, the issues that we face in 2023 or 2024 are not the same issues we faced in the or the African-American uh, population certainly faced in the 1930s or the 1960s, that has changed. And what are those new issues that we have to tackle? And what are those new conversations that we have to bring? So to sum it all, our belief, really, uh, our dream voice presented the Dream Week is that the genius of the civil rights movement was the fact that the leadership felt strongly that their voices um, would triumph if they could be allowed to sit across the table with even people that disliked them tremendously, that they were confident enough in their ideas and concepts that would that would prevail if they had an opportunity to sit across the table and debate those ideas. So that's one. And so the idea that the truest voice is always going to triumph is the sentiment that we try to uphold for Dream Week. The second is that for somebody born in Lagos, Nigeria, like me, I was, uh, and this is this is this is really true. I remember telling my father that I wanted to be a Negro, and he laughed. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're doing right now. <laughs> we know what they I love to be a Negro, and because. All we all we saw, at least in my group, the civil rights movement videos, um, the Michael Jacksons, the Michael Jordans, the uh, different world. I think uh, people like Reginald, and we wanted to be like them. Those were our heroes. Besides the Mandelas and Steve Beagles and Nkrumahs, who that we we we, we learned in school, and of course with British colony. And so we had to read Shakespeare and all of that. But that was where we felt that, I mean, uh, I personally felt that these were the most righteous and uh, uh, innovative and progressive group. And I wanted to, when I said I wanted to be, I wish I was a Negro, it would be any kind of ambition a young kid would have, like a superhero. I saw them like that. So coming to Brooklyn, and seeing the underbelly of America and what the black experience was, was a shock to me. Like mm. a huge shock. Because we mm-hmm. didn't gel at all, right? Whether you're reading Ebony and Essence and that is your framework and then get into a project 
and seeing kids who have never seen an ocean or seen a vast expanse of green grass, for example, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it contradicts itself. So, um, so I decided to get a lot less. Um, um, I get more suspicious of media, uh, at least media representation. And part of what Dream Week is, is also to celebrate that African-American genius. So folks like me, obviously, uh, benefit from it. But we also have to, I also feel that we have to, the genius itself is something that can benefit the entire world. The model itself can benefit the world. The fact that you can go through such suffering, but at the same time, what you make of yourself is something that brings a lot more uh, peace and a lot more beauty to this world, right? So that's that's um, that's important to to state. And then finally, um, we think that every community that is thriving has this genius as well. There's something extraordinary happening in San Antonio, and we're just very fortunate to be heralds and folks who have been given the opportunity to package it. And so we're still learning from it as well. So that's what Dreamwick means. And uh, I hope I wasn't, I didn't know. No, that was, that was great. No, man, that was, yeah, that was, a, that, that was, was beautiful. Good. It's crazy how, um, you know, people always want to be something, you know, like where you are, it's like, you know, we, we, we always strive to be the Mandela's and the Stephen Bicos. And you, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's like, you know, it's funny, you know, like actors always want to be singers. Singers always want to be comedians. And it's like, you know, and you never know where you are. It's like, you know, you could be whatever you want to be, but it's like, you think like America always show us the bad part of Africa. I always show us the, the, the you know, the, the kids starving and the flies flying around them. You know, they never show us the, the other stuff. You know what I mean? So it's like you always, you, you probably was brought up seeing all the good parts over here. And then you, you really discover what a Negro was and how we got treated. <laughs> like, oh, that's okay. Pop, I don't know why you laugh now. <laughs> well, one of my reasons for wanting to bring the two of you together is because I see you as both iconic. You know, when you're making history, you don't realize that you're making history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You don't realize yeah, it. True. And, yes, and I, still, what... Well, the reason why I yeah, the African American experience is something that, uh, like rightly uh, Reginald, you mentioned, we, we just don't understand the impact globally. Yeah, the, that's the, correct. Mm-hmm. And right. is anyone criticism of the African American culture? And I don't know if it's a criticism because it possibly wouldn't have been from that fashion if um, this were to be the case, but. They have to, uh, I think the average uh, African-American has to understand that they're considered gods in parts of this world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, oh, yeah. And, and, and that's often the big thing that I, that, I, uh, that, I t- that I always say is that we have to reclaim our image, right? And yeah. uh, one of the things that this is, uh, like, Reg, like Reg said, that, hey, our image of Africa is, you know, these starving kids all this stuff, you know, just the, the poverty of it, right? It feels like they just went mm-hmm. to the worst part of town and that's where they film, right? And so that's right. the image I have. And I have a friend named Anthony. He's uh, he, he's from Ghana. And uh, we were uh, at Baylor. Uh, yeah. And so uh, he, this guy was telling him, he says, hey, this is the first time you've ever seen a car? And I was just like, uh, Anthony, you have a big Mercedes S, right? He's <laughs> Right? And he was just like, yeah. He goes, where do these thoughts come from? And I said, hey, I've got to confess that, you know, that's the image people have in their minds, right? And if you, right. Don't, if you don't ever go anywhere or even read any right. additional thing, right, that's the image you keep in your mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I really like about you, I got to say, when I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to uh, talk about the uh, elephant in the room. Right. The elephant in the room is, hey, this African guy came over and appropriated one of our black leaders. 
And I was like, no, not really. I said he, he had this vision and idea of how to celebrate and elevate the image. Right. So that's a big thing that people always have there. And then after meeting you and talking to you and what you said a few minutes ago was just perfect on your you communicated your vision. And I was like, that's the vision that he has. And sometimes I always say this. It takes an outsider. Right. Rather it be culturally, whether it be from a different profession to really change things up. Right. So people see right. it differently. I'll give you an example. Right. Uh, Einstein changed up physics, but he was a math. He really wasn't that great of a mathematician. Right. If you read the history books. Right. But he was great at the theory of math and he came from outside. Right. And changed it up. And then culturally, I remember what rap and hip hop kind of blended. It blended with that LL Cool J song and uh, Boys to Men. Or was it one of those groups? Right. Uh, with that whole new uh, new new sound. But it took people from the outside collaborating. Well, to change people's from the outside, view. but adjacent. Yeah. So somebody that has a view of what's happening, mm-hmm. and the people that are directly in the midst of it can't see it. Mm-hmm. But when you're right there, you can see something that we can't. And that's so important to have that. You know, it's the same thing with us and and kidney disease. When you're going through it. Uh, you have a perspective that a medical professional doesn't. Mm. Yeah. You know, we're not the system that can fix it, but we're adjacent to that system. We are the ones who are actually going through the physical experience of a disease. And yeah. we're the ones who can inform the people who make decisions about how to treat that disease the best. We can inform them the best. Even right. though they're the ones who are who know how to how to treat the physiological problem, it's it's always going to be somebody from the outside, but adjacent. Yeah. Because I come from a tall, uh, tall, you know, uh, family at six foot. Um, you know, in my teens, I remember just what in my you know last few years. Growing up in Nigeria, uh, being being referred to like, "Hey, man, look, you look like a, you look like a um, what's the name? You look like a African American bro- brother, you know." And so, give <laughs> me additional swagger. And then I came here, and people say that you look like an African from Africa. You are tall in Africa. I'm going what? So it's this this kind of meets right that every African American is tall. And, 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 and that's crazy. I, I, I feel like Chinese cats. Chinese cats now is putting their hair nappy, and they want to be, you know, hey, 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 they want our rhythm, but they don't want our blues, buddy. <laughs> and, and you know, but look to 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 piggyback on what Tiffany has said, and this is very important. I think that we have to, and I don't know how best to say, it, but. Growing up and reading um, MLK or um, Malcolm, uh, then uh, Stokely, Kamiko, uh, mm-hmm. I had a CD uh, in England that had 20 versions of the same card, Charlie Parker, same song, 20 versions of it. Listen to it. It was one of my... Um, valued CDs at that time. Um, I just being really uh, appreciative of the culture. So coming here and talking to the average brother or sister and talking about Charlie Parker, and there's no reference, yeah. right? And so that is, that bothered me for a while, right? The fact that you have this culture, but you don't, you don't, you're not appreciative of it, or you don't really, really have a good sense of what it is. Then I realized that part of the culture is being fresh all the time, coming up with new things, mm-hmm. not necessarily just like staying back there and turning back and revisiting styles. So whether it's those it jazz and then you know uh, I've rhythm and blues and funk and and then there's rap, there's hip hop. It's always something fresh and new, and that is not traditionally how. Most of the world sees stuff. In fact, it's mm. completely opposite, right? 
from what yeah. some, the British would do. It's all about tradition. It's all about following all the steps. You know, it's about what happened in 1348 in you know summer. <laughs> the African American yeah. says, no, 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 we're leaving that behind. This is this is something new and fresh. So that is that was a big lesson that rather than talk about the youth not being appreciative of the fact that how jazz started, they're more concerned about starting their own new thing now. That's what they're doing. They're living yeah. life fully and being completely creative and expressive. So again, these things have a lot of you know tentacles and it's not you just as straightforward as they're not, not, not straightforward. I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you why that happened. I'm gonna tell you why it's that. Now, as far as jazz is concerned, Charlie Parker, you talk to my son, my son, he's a jazz uh pianist. This boy here know everything about jazz. You ask him, I say, Hey man, who's the best between Parker and Coltrane? He's like, Well, you know, when 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 Coltrane um heard Parker play the alto, he threw his alto sax away. I say, Well, well, Parker was better. He said, Well, Parker never picked up a tenor. So <laughs> so but but for like that, I'm gonna tell you why we change all the time, man. It's like once we start like jazz, take take this of jazz, we started jazz and then all of a sudden white people come in and, and infiltrate it. So we like, okay, we gotta do something else. This is like handshake. You know, like black people did the handshake back in the day, you know, the white people started doing it. So we went to something else. We went to something else. Mm-hmm. So it's like jazz, then white people blues. You know, blues came along. Right. So when you go to a jazz concert and a blues concert, you see hardly hardly any black people there's mostly all white people. So they like then stole our like I say, our rhythm, you know, and then now we say, Okay, well, this change to something else. We went to R and B, change to something else, we go to rap, change something else, we go to Neo Soul, change something else. It's like like you say, we keep on evolving, man, because it's like every time we get something, it's like some another coach will try to come and steal it and then we'll sit back and let that happen. You know, we don't go to the jazz. Like you say, man, jazz is still important. We don't go to the jazz concerts. We don't go to the blues concerts. You know, we, we go to the latest thing now. Latest thing now is, you know, uh, with this girl, uh, some red talking about. Oh, the- she's talking about. <laughs> yeah, so we going to that jump. You know what I'm saying? We going, I ain't calling no junk, but we going to that <laughs> instead of, you know, embracing, you know, the stuff that, you know, in the past, you know, that's, that's, cool. that's our culture, man. That's like rich uh, um, real music, real instruments, real brass, man. Mm-hmm. Now, now you you can't even go to places and find brass no more. <laughs> yeah, but that's also because we get cut off from our hist- the historical context and the history right, right. of what that is, right? And so that's one of the things that that uh, I guess drives me crazy is that we 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 are cut off from the historical significance of what Charlie Parker means, right? We're right. cut off from yeah. the historical significance of all these things. My youngest, my oldest daughter, uh, Ernie, she, man, YouTube has been like the greatest encyclopedia of all times for her because she can mm. sit there and when you hear, she'll say, you just talked about Charlie Parker. She's writing that stuff down. And next thing you know, there's going to be this whole search engine of everything jazz. And she comes back with yeah. all these facts, right? Because there is, we have to have, I'm all for fresh and new. But we've got to also have appreciation on the foundation on which all of that yeah. is built on. And that's yeah. the part that we can't be robbed of, or that we shouldn't be robbed of, is the appreciation of our achievements. Because oftentimes, because we're making history, we don't realize the importance of what we're doing. Right. I'm a big genealogist and I really love to go back and say, hey, what happened between this period, this time period and this time period? Right. Because Mm -hmm. we all stand on the shoulders of the giants that went before us. Right. And this really I was the other day I was going through some I was clearing up some photos, digital photos. And I came across this photo of my of Tiffany's uh, grandfather, Joseph Applin. Right. He's born in well, he's born Tiffany, 1910, 1921. Mm-hmm. Right. And right before he's sitting there dying of cancer, we're there at the hospital just goofing off and he's teasing me and everything. And he said he looks me in the eyes. Right. He says, Kevin, he says, cabin. That's what he always called me. Cabin. I tell you what, <laughs> if I was a young man today with all the opportunity you have, I'd be running a lot of things. Right. Mm-hmm. And here this is like 2001, 2002. And here 
I'm looking at the 75, 76 year old man, and then I'm, I'm uh, contra- contrasting that against the the culture and the message that I'm being told that I'm a victim, that is impossible. And here's this 75 year old man who went through some real racism, right? I, I got some mm. stories, right, about him, right? He had to move in the middle of night because a white man was getting fresh, as he would say, with his wife, who was very beautiful, by the way. Mud looked good, Tiffany. Saw the pictures, and uh, and that he he got into a fist fight and beat this guy down and they had to pack up and move in the middle of the night. Yeah. Right. Mm. That was some oh, real stuff. I'm not I'm not downgrading the experience today. I am, but in comparison to what those before us went through, we stand on a much stronger foundation to address those grievances, to build coalitions, to address all of those things. But unfortunately, right, and this is my criticism of the public school system, and one of the beefs that I have is that they rob us of the rich history that's there and the significance of those individuals that came before us and that contributed to it. And that's the problem that I have. And I think you do a really good job, show. I say you because, you know, everything has to have a leader to to curate these things at really bringing up and reminding us of the rich history that we as uh, as black people in America, as ADOS, the American descendants of slaves. Right. And I use that moniker not as something to separate us from others, but also I use it as a, a means of saying, hey, we came from slaves. Right. And we built a rich culture of music of theater, of finance, of political involvement, right? And and with the internet, there's really no reason to not be aware of that and build from that what we have. Real change in healthcare starts with you. It's not just about community engagement. It's about stepping into the political arena for the health of our people. We're calling on you to join our fight against rare and chronic kidney disease. With your involvement, we can reshape policy and transform local health. This is your moment to make a difference, to be a part of something bigger than you that values action over words. Join us and be the change you wish to see in our local community. Welcome to On the Record with Kevin and Tiffany on 930 AM The Answer, home of conservative talk radio with On the Record with Kevin and Tiffany on 930 AM. Well, and that's what these groups are for. We don't have to be separated. That's what this show is for. That's what show is doing with the largest curated event of its kind. That's why we have coalitions exist and should exist, and we should be promoting one another at every turn because that, neighbors helping neighbors, that's how we make sure that people understand what our history is. We need to, we need to promote it. We don't so have to care about, nobody else has to promote uh, Tiffany Jones Smith because you know Tiffany Jones. I think to, to, I think to some of the, kind of, to some of the, um, sorry, sorry, to some of that philosophy that I think it's African-American is, uh, culture is that you don't worship the sun by facing it and, you know, bowing your head. You worship it by using the light it provides. So mm. I can see, I can understand how that approach is important, that we don't necessarily have to look back because there's so much light from the past that we have to use it to, they use it to craft uh, something so fresh. And you can leave it to people like us. But if you want to call it an advantage that the African-Americans, that least my generation grew up, is that we also had African heroes as well. And the further back you go as ADOS or foundational black, the more African you are, actually, mm-hmm. in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, so when we talk, when we're listening to um, reading Baldwin, I'm reading something my, an uncle would say. It just very, it just has a better, yeah. you know, yeah. understanding of English and could translate it, and you know, it, that they're immersed in it. So a lot of what we, the Africans are reading, when you say, "Oh, well, this Nigerians are doing so well." They, they're reading English and it's like a shot card and going, oh, wow, this, this happens in our language. But now we have this in English that we can just mm-hmm. jump in, use those words, right? It's not that different. Secondly, I come from Urobo tribe. My father is Urobo, right? And my mother is Shakiri. We have 200, and I think I mentioned this to uh, uh, Tiffany and Kevin before, 200 distinct languages in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. 200. 
So Europe has what? 30, what, you know, maybe 40, 200 in one country. So this idea of black, and that's the worst form of discrimination really you can find, is not one thing. Mm-hmm. It's never been one thing. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. African-American presence that has to make it one thing because it's such a powerful culture. But I speak to my Igbo friend in San Antonio, my best pal, is Igbo. We can only speak English to each other and we, a few words that we know of each other's language. Mm. Really? So you have that taking place as well, right? Where African tribes, because of being colonized, uh, cannot are forced to work with each other and go, well, look, Africans can't get along. All these tribes are just put together and say, hey, you're this country. So my grandmother had no concept of the idea of Africa or Nigeria. She just knew what her tribe was. The end of the world was the end of where people could speak her language. That was it. Mm -hmm. So taking anyone, my mother and father grew up 60 miles apart, two distinct languages. You just had to take one individual three, 400 years ago, a hundred, like from here to Austin or from Galveston to San Antonio, and they were lost. Yes. And that's one of the reasons you had all these tribal marks and stuff to identify different cultures, right? So we see African-Americans primarily as this melting pot of all these different tribes mm. put together. Yeah. Just a big, yeah. big mix. They're not one thing. I mean, it's people do their DNA now. They go, I'm 60% Nigerian, 40%. So it's a good way they can see those things. But even within Nigeria, you have a lot of different tribes put together. And yeah. uh, so when we talk about the African-American being African, the idea African is really an African-American introduction primarily because to us it's geographical. And to here it's more about a, a culture, right? A spirit. Mm-hmm. So we don't have anything in common with Egyptians really besides the fact that we share a geographic um, right. And now we can talk about their setting foods and setting, you know, dances and stuff that it just, just right. the way it is. European is European. But no one's going to confuse somebody from Iceland with an Italian. And we right. give them that distinction. We allow them that. We say, oh, that's a Frenchman. That's the, but we can say an Igbo man and that's a black guy. Yeah. Or the, you know. So that's where we, we suffer because we don't mm-hmm. appreciate the incredible. I'm talking about this in Nigeria. So in Africa, they're probably about thousands of languages, right? We don't give ourselves that understanding, you know. So, look, I'm, I'm just, I'll just be quick about this. I'm, I, I will see some faces in Brooklyn or in New Orleans or something like that. I go, that, that dude, that prevalent DNA in that person's system is Calabar or the way that person is acting. So, Eurobars are known for being, they celebrate life, even if they don't have anything. That's part of their culture. The Igbos are known to be very industrious. And any Igbo person in any part of the world is always going to be doing something re- re- related to commerce and doing well. It's in their culture. So when you see folks do different things in the African-American community, it might be some strong um, um, part of their you know, African uh, DNA that is being represented. And then yeah. finally, finally, when we talk about whether it's reparations and... Uh, just uh, to to an Urugu man, or if I had this discussion with my father, he will go as long as because we're represented by our father's lineage, right? In my in my in my tribe, our father, you're from where your father is from. So, mm. if you had one drop of um, white blood that came from a male uh, ancestor, you were there. Really? You were. European or you are British. So the okay. idea that you can just dismiss once a whole bunch of grandfathers because ironically, not ironically, but um, they raped their grandmother doesn't count in, say, you know, in, in, our, in our tribe. That person is your grandfather. For really? sure. Whether it happened or not, you can't just say, hey, you know what, this part of my blood I, I'm going to completely dismiss. I only come from this side of it. It doesn't work that way, right? So that's a com- that would be confusing to if you had to go to the elders in our village and say, well, you know, yeah, that was my grandfather, but was a slave. He was a rapist, and um, it's only my grandmother. It doesn't work that way. So mm. the African-American represents this global European, Native American, African mix 
that's what makes it completely extraordinary. It's not just purely African. And so in reparations, there's that injustice part of it that says, hey, you know what, they suffered and they demand this. But there's also that inheritance that comes from. Yeah, but the inheritance in, in the African-American culture, though, show it's, you, you inherited the status of your mom by law. So whatever the status of your mother was, so that way they, they would have to enforce slavery. Right. So if you look at the you look at the, the laws that were established at the time, you inherited the status of your mother. So that way there was no way to get out of slavery. It kept the system going. And so that's an important those two distinctions. I'd never thought about it the way you just said, it. hey, in your culture, you inherit of your of your grandfather. Right. But in our culture, you inherit the status that you bring from your mother. And that was that was in by law within America. So that way they could keep uh, slavery going, because what it ended up happening is that under the Catholic faith is that a, a slave could become a free person. Right. And so you had people who were born slaves who were being freed or they would marry out of that. And that the powers that be were like, no, 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 no. If we keep this going, I mean, uh, we're not going to have our wealth that's established in that. And that's the, and so knowing that culturally. Right. Knowing that that's what's going on. It helps me deal with what's in the present. And I never heard anyone describe uh, understanding the significance of the African culture the way you just did in terms of this amalgamation, if you will, in America and how this blend and what we represent to others. Right. Others being worldwide. I mean, that uh, mm-hmm. that is wonderful. And I love the way you said, hey, the further we go back, the closer we get to being an African. Right. And that is uh, that was just a wonderful description of that. It really puts a lot of things in focus for me. And you continued the thought that you were. You were about to say something, too. Um, no, no. I, I, when we go into this part of, you know, I, I could talk forever because, again, I'm fascinated by African-American culture. I mean, I, you know, it's something that I... But what, I, what, has, what I've realized now is that the portions, that same spirit exists in other parts of the world as well. That there are people who have gone through maybe not the same, but kind of a similar kind of struggle wherever they come from, and they might have been oppressed um, and uh, basically, again, just suffered. And so when we, when I see a Nigerian who, or an African who's just immigrated here two years a year, going through the sort of things I did when I first arrived in New York, um, and fortunately, I came from, I would say, a for, I, was, I was fortunate to come from middle class or maybe even upper middle class African family. Um, and and I use that, I say that because I learned how to speak English before I left. But maybe these this individuals are struggling with English. But all they can hear across is there's a bickering between Democrats and Republicans, black, white, Hispanic. They're these small groups, right, that are just completely, dis, you know, ignored. And they're the glue uh, in what this tapestry is. They're the ones that Kind of, uh, you know, and so that's what I want to express in talking about Dream Week specifically is that the African American genius itself is what we can use as a model to create a more peaceful, more creative, more uh, forward looking. Um, that song, We Shall Overcome, for me, is something that should be the, the global national anthem. So we shouldn't be having this, the idea of Palestine and Gaza. We say, look, you know what? There are people who went through a lot of this kind of conflict things. You can look back and how this, they sorted it out and united themselves. These are people that came from different tribes. They couldn't speak the language. Um, they came from Africa. Just the idea of being on, a, 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 you know, uh, on this ship that, for people who had never seen ocean, never seen that vast amount of water, being in the hood, being there for months, mm. come out of that experience and being with people that don't even speak your language. And in the filth, what all that, you come out on the other end completely traumatized. So what the people that landed here in Africa and gone through that middle passage were Broken. They weren't broken by slavery. They were broken by that by, by that journey. They're finished. Yeah. 
Yes. They're done. So what you had was just a shell that you could do anything you liked with. I, I don't want to use the word zombie, but they had to have gone so inward. The ones that survived they had to be so in their in their heads because that's all they had to do to survive. Everything else was just like weird. And then they arrive at the place that is so strange that. And I don't want to I don't want to belittle the soft, the additional suffering that happened. But it must have been some sort of relief to just be on firm ground again, just to like start to hope. So we shall overcome. It's that traumatic experience that being taken away. We talk about reparations here when we say, look, you know, these people are slaves. Do you know? And that's one of those magical thinking that we have sometimes as black people that the slaves did not have. Didn't they have brothers and sisters? Didn't they have children? Didn't they have parents? Do you know how it is to live in a small expand? Because it all happened mostly on the coast of West Africa, mostly. But just to have for 400 years individuals taken out of your environment. Do you know this kind of suffering that that will bring and the kind of yeah. intimidation that that brings about the way you view life? You can't go into the bush. We used to have all these mates. You can't go into the bush. It, it, uh, you know, you see the spirit, you'll see this. But it was really just slave um, slavery that caused all of that. It's people just yeah. simply disappeared. So the impact, you know, to have maybe one's grandfather taken, one's uncle taken, one's uh, brother or cousin taken, and then one's child taken, that individual in Africa is also broken completely. Mm. This is the, so we can't, we can't separate, like Stephanie mentioned, we can separate and talk about who suffered more. This right. is just very abstract and not even necessary at all. It was just an awful thing. The question is, it happened. So what has come out of that? And history is not just 400 years old. We don't know what this, and maybe a thousand years, people are talking about that incident and going, yeah, that was when the God Almighty took a whole bunch of Africans and took them to America and crafted it. You can create a new narrative that has an incredible end to it. And that is one of the things I want to, uh, I, we want to push it through. We can say this guy, this spirit here is something that can be um, beneficial to all of the globe. How we can talk about with full confidence, without even seeing it, like MLK mentioned, that we can bring about change, even though we don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime. We yeah. can talk the, the seeds of it is, is exactly to your point. It's what do you want it to be? Because we are at a stage where we can decide how we want to be treated and talked about. We can paint the narrative ourselves because we know what the history is. So if we put the history out there, whether somebody else wants to put it out or not, doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's true. I I have a question. You have to be very clear that it's a beautiful, 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 uh, uh, I wouldn't say beautiful history, but the, the end is certainly going to be wonderful because okay. of what, how it's, how it's trans, you know, just transpired. There's always something to celebrate. The amount of beauty that has come from that culture is, you know, is, is, is just amazing. Now, nobody wants to say, suggest that you go and do those things so that this can come out of it. And I think that's maybe right. a, a biblical passage. Yeah. But it's yeah. happened. And for me, feel, come out of this. Yeah. Hey, Reggie, yeah. you had a question you're going to ask. Yeah, well, this is kind of off the subject, you know. Um, you know, I know um, because it's funny how you know, like Africans, you know, want to you know be more associated with the African Americans, and African Americans want to be more associated with Africans. The question I have is, you know, how prevalent or how widespread the diseases that we have over here as African-Americans for as kidney disease, high blood pressure, cholesterol, how prevalent, you know, a widespread it is in Africa. Is it, is it, is it the same as here or is, 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 is less, you know, for as kidney disease and the stuff that we have as African-Americans over here? Yeah. There's one, there's, there's a kind of a joke that goes around, you know, in Nigeria, uh, Lagos, especially it says that if the white man hasn't seen it, it doesn't exist. 
Um, because we we believe that everything we know obviously is you know it's kind of Western culture. It's you know it's very is you know it's all in books and everything. But there are things that have happened, and they're you know uh, just concepts and ideas that are not in the language yet. That but mm. Africans know intuitively and in their own language. None of these things have been translated. So the way Africans will view disease is very different. Um, my grandfather and parents would have, you know, they might have been evil spirits, or you did this, or you did that. But to start yeah. off with, the people who have the most wealth that I have met in Texas live exactly, or almost exactly, the same way that villages in Africa live in. Mm. Right? They live off the land, primarily. Mm. The, uh, the food is... I mean, it's just like three, three uh, miles away in the farm. Um, the trade, everything is fresh. There was no refrigeration mm-hmm. in these villages, so you had they cook every day. There's always, and it's done outside with wood, and you know, pots made of clay. It, it's it's just very fascinating how. You start to buy a high-end range, open range, and then it's all the description is all about like you know trying to cook as if it's outside, right? Everything is yeah, yeah, yeah. everything yeah. is grilled. So you don't. So then it became fascinating and popular to, oh right, you know we have milk and it comes in a can, and and we have this, it comes in a can, and fish, sardines come in a can, and. People start to glorify sardines that you, that people ridicule in the West, or corned beef, or spam, or whatever it's called, and avoid. So the middle class folks start to eat those kind of things and avoid just having going to the market and having freshly butchered meat. Yeah. So a lot of what we eat, uh, we're talking about a, a culture where thousands of years you've had this diet, this sort of diet. You've had to go walk at least five miles a day in any direction. There's no, people walk, people are walking here as exercise. You walk because nobody exercised. My father used to jog and the villagers would look at him and be thinking, this guy's out of his mind. What are you running to? So that will be how, that will be observed. You know, what you need to run? The people carrying baskets for miles in their head, that's their work. Nobody tried to lose weight. Lose weight was like it's something for you to lose weight. It's ridiculous. So I'm not trying to belittle um, what you, what you, your question, but. No, 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 no. A lot, no, of, what we, a lot of what we can't separate lifestyle from diet and health. It's always back to that. Yeah. I mean, any question with when it comes to disease it always comes to the diet. Yeah, I mean, I don't care how you put it, it's gonna always come back to that circle to the diet. Which and, you eat. Yeah. So when you eat that, and then you get in a you get in a, a Bentley, and then drive everywhere, and yeah. you say, "Well, you know, I've been around or get on a plane and everything." It just compounds itself. It compounds right, itself, right. and right. Uh, and then you, you we also get farther away from the earth. So you don't even know what real a real potato looks like. You might look at one that is being, you know, right, you know, around yeah. this, and it's a perfect apple or whatever it is. But people who know apples and just can just look and go to a regular grocery store and go, that's mm, it's not the kind of apple you want to be in, yeah. right? Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, so this is, and then to 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 come from what it said is the, the son of the soil or the child of the soil to actually. We used to, so anytime we had an event in our birthday or graduation or whatever it is, we would slaughter the meat the morning bef- the morning of the event, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the women would take off all the stuff in the stomach and uh, all the poop and stuff and knead all that. And, and you call it chitlins in here, but we had all of that for breakfast. That was the first fruit <laughs> from that animal. And then the stuff that is barbecued in the evening, to taste that is something that everyone should have. So once you taste that kind of fresh meat, I mean, you know, it doesn't, you know, so it will be like compared to a really high-end restaurant here who probably yeah. have had the meat for a few days. 
you know, right, right, uh, right, right. It would be compared to that kind of steak. But yeah, yeah. right, and then eat the whole thing. So when you talk about that, but they're eating that, but we are literally not eating all day in anticipation of that meal. We're not having the chemicals and the yeah, the the the, the yeah, fillers having, and all uh, that kind cereal, of stuff. Sugar yeah. cereal and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, put um, sausages and everything. Then have that big meal afterwards. You know, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. we're also working throughout the day. Right. Everyone is involved in that making that meal. So I think yeah. that's um, I, I, again. Tiffany and Kevin are the, the knowledgeable folks here when it comes to all this sort of diseases as well. But I, I, I just suspect that you know, my sister lives in San Antonio. She has never been to a hospital except to have a, she had a, a, a children. Never. My grandmother could smell sugar in a cup of coffee if you handed it to her. She could smell it. Wow. She never had sugar. So that's wow. the kind of thought. Yeah. What, what you about. see to, uh, on the scientific side of that show is that where you see there's an adoption of the quote unquote Western diet, there's also yeah. a following of diseases. And the Western diet part is the uh, couple things, right? It's the consistent eating. And then it's also those uh, foods high in, in, in processed and simple uh, 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 glucose meals, right? So yeah. like processed breads, uh, uh, candies and those things and it's those things plus the the uh the the consistent eating of them over time right mm-hmm. uh I, we have a, a, a our, our our chief medical advisor uh, uh dr wesson always says he was talking when he talked to his uh his grandfather uh so dr wesson is fairly old and so I, his fa- his grandfather has been passed has passed away quite some time ago would always say hey why would you eat a hog every day cuz you have to kill that Right. And I don't know if you guys I grew up in, in a small West Texas town and you know, I've been involved in the slaughtering of a hog or a goat. That's some work. Right. And so you slaughtered that one hog or that two hogs or that one calf, or, you know, and you have enough meat to share and swap and trade with everybody in the neighborhood. But it just required so much work. And so Dr. Weston said his granddad would say, why do all that when I can make beans and eat vegetables, still be full and I don't have to do all that work. So I always say black people were uh, vegans. We just didn't have a name for it at the time. And mo- as most Americans were at the time as well. <laughs> and you've been listening to On the Ready with Tiffany and Kevin, the Dream Week edition. And we have had a great time here with our wonderful co-hosts, Reginald Ballard and Show Nakapodia. Across America, our local communities face challenges overlooked by global headlines. It's time to bring the focus back home. Join us in a movement dedicated to tackling what matters most to us, right here, right in our neighborhoods. We're standing up for American health, starting with the fight against rare and chronic kidney disease, because when we take care of our own, we build a stronger nation. Stand with us for an America that cares for its own. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.